Surviving Separation, a podcast to help you through the broad and complex issues around family, relationships and divorce. Brought to you by TGB Lawyers. Welcome to Surviving Separation. I'm Andrew Montessi with Diana Takera and Melanie Tilmouth, family lawyers at TGB. And today we're talking about some really unique family law and property settlement uh, issues for for people in the farming, primary industries, agriculture, aquaculture and even fisheries. So Diana, like why are these type of clients different or unique and perhaps a bit more complex? Hi Andrew, are these matters become a bit more complex generally because of their asset structure. So when we're Uh, often seeing these types of matters they may not just own a parcel of land like a a couple that might own real estate have that might involve leases it might involve trusts it might involve licenses depending on which area of primary industry we're in so suddenly when we're talking about those assets we have to delve into how those particular uh, structures are held and what's then involved in them so melanie maybe you can tell us a bit about the structure of agribusiness and and why it matters? Agribusiness clients are quite unique um, in that they often have quite complex structures. Um, In many cases they've had the assistance of an accountant or a financial advisor or perhaps a lawyer over a number of years to create tax effective structures to assist them but they may not actually have a very good understanding of how those structures work. and also for many of our agricultural clients, their assets are in fact their source of income, which again is a distinguishing um, feature to our more average punter, you might say, mm. um, who simply has a parcel of land and their source of income is a very separate desk job, for example. Mm. Um, and they might be very, very concerned about how they might derive income in the future if they're looking at a division of their assets. I'd imagine that people in these industries, um, I guess, are affected by unpredictable aspects such as climate and markets and, and those type of things. How is that considered? So we obviously take um, those types of aspects into consideration. Things like drought will often pop up. And so when we're looking at... Um, determining values for example of particular assets we often have often have to take into account whether the climate at a particular time affects their value so um, a value might come into uh, into play and provide advice on those types of issues equally it might be that we're in a really severe period for example a drought that we've had you know for years ongoing and and that may diminish the asset pool simply because of um, what is going on we can't rectify that we simply take the asset pool as we find it so to speak um, so at, at the time at the time of hearing or at the time you're dealing with the matter you're um you're dealing with that uh, what the value might be having said that though it's not to suggest that sometimes you don't forecast in into the future what might be the cases whether if there's a level of improvement when it's against the income for example will one's income maybe improve into the future um because 
a a drought might be coming to an end. So those things will also have to be considered as well. Seasonal issues are also Mm. really important as well. For example, I know um, in a number of industries, they might draw on an overdraft account at the start of a season in order to Mm. purchase seeds or to assist with the purchase of grapes, for example. Mm. And so if you took a snapshot just at that particular point in time, the level of debt might be much higher than it is as a whole throughout the relationship as well. And it might be the case that they're relying three, four months down the track to be able to sell a huge amount of a crop or product which will then significantly then reduce the debt. Another factor um, that you mentioned um, as well is market market um, factors. That's really important because, for um, for example, if you're exporting a particular type of product and the Australian dollar is very high, um, that will often affect mm. how much you can you can sell, um, whereas many producers are looking for the low Australian dollar in order to increase their exports as well. Mm-hmm. And that there might be fluctuations in the market as a whole or just in a specific period of time, such as a global financial crisis, um, which might affect the, the value of the pool. That's right. And in these types of matters, you may not just look at, if we're particularly looking at the income source, you may not look at say, a, a wage or an income over 12 months. You might have to go back to a number of years to sort of average out what might have been um, the the income stream over that time because otherwise it can be somewhat artificial to only take a small period of time and that particular picture. Hmm. I mean, the way that we're talking, it seems like there's many different assets potentially lots of different income streams how do you determine what's assets what's income um, among all of the different uh, streams that might be available to the to the person the court and i think it's appropriate to look at what the court would do Mm. in this type of situation would have to look at each individual case um, and assess in the the circumstances of the of the um, spouses in in question um, how that should be assessed. Diana, what do you, what would you have to say? I agree, and we've also got sorry got to make sure that we're not necessarily double counting an asset against the income. So um, it may be the case that um, in the particular industry, it's livestock or grain that might generate um, the income. So it may not be taking the number of livestock that exists, but it might be that once it's sold, it generates a particular income over a four, five, six month period. So it's been very careful at its analysis. And in those types of instances, we're working more closely with, for example, the party's accountants to understand how then they've um, entered into, if you like, their, in their taxation and their BAS and those types of um, documentation, that type of Hmm. income is an income is it a distribution is it a dividend um, to better understand then that that structure Diana's probably um, made a very good point there that an accountant um, is a very good resource um, that I think is very important to um, engage with early on hmm. in a property settlement um, negotiation or understanding your rights um, particularly because they will be able to help you with your team including your legal advisor understand what are the assets Um, the parties are talking about and deconstruct those structures so that they make sense not only to the legal advisors but also to the parties in question because they can't make an informed decision unless they've got a good understanding of what the structures are and what assets are owned by those various structures. And I'd imagine it'd be they would play an important role in accounting for everything in terms of Mm. um, you know all the little bits that might actually get missed if they don't have the right advisor involved. 
Yes, it's even just understanding how they've set up that particular structure because um, often when we're dealing with these types of matters and the clients, they're very much focused on the day-to-day work as opposed to um, the book work, if you like. So having their accountant um, or financial advisor involved from really early on only um, serves and assists the parties in, in trying to reach a resolution quickly, amicably, um, as, and with little fuss as possible, ideally. The types of structures that we often come across are family trusts, mm. companies, there might be partnership arrangements in place mm. or share farming, and self-managed super funds are also becoming increasingly common in these types of um, farming arrangements as well. Well, on that, uh, how do contributions work, particularly when we're talking about family trusts when um, there's a number of parties that probably have an interest. Uh, land may have been passed down from parents or grandparents. She's trying to organise a property settlement in those circumstances must be extremely complex. The, these types of matters um, often are where there's a pass down, if you like, of land from um, you know, the parents or the grandparents. And so it's often an introduction or a contribution but made by one of the particular parties. And uh, depending on um, a number of factors, including, for example, the length of one's relationship, um, that can have a really significant income, uh, sorry, impact on the overall uh, division. And, so, and even in some instances, a really long relationship can still have those effects of who should get what out um, because it can be deemed like a stepping stone to where the parties are now. They might not have been that far along had they not received a parcel of land mm. from family to begin with, you know, even you know, 20 years ago or even five years ago. So they are definitely important in considerations that we take into account. We'll be back to this discussion in just a moment. It's at distressing times like when a relationship breaks down that a caring approach and personalised service really count. That's what TGB's team of accredited family law specialists and experienced family lawyers is all about. TGB's family lawyers are recognised across Australia, with the largest team in South Australia and expanding across Western Australia and the Northern Territory. If you need advice for separation, divorce, property settlement or a children's issue, contact TGB. Visit tgb.com.au to arrange an appointment at your nearest office. And what about when you're dividing property and others have an interest in that property as well? So there might be brothers, sisters and so forth. This comes up quite frequently, particularly where the parties are at an age where they've got adult children um, in their relationship and those children might have been working on the farm or um, in the business for a period of time at no wage whatsoever or a lesser wage on the expectation that they're likely to receive that business in the foreseeable future. And then suddenly mum and dad have separated and they... uh, and they're feeling like they're left out in mm. the cold. And it's not uncommon in those types of situations for the children to join as a party to the proceedings if it's before the court, or perhaps even obtain their own representation if um, the parties are going through negotiations to try and shore up um, their, their interests, which makes it very, very complex in working out or quantifying what their, what their contributions might have been or whether they are legitimately owed any sum of money 
um, from that business. Wow. So what you're saying is there's the standard sort of spouse v spouse and there could be you know another another party involved in it as well could be one two three four depending on how many people potentially are working on the land that may have never received an income it's Mm. not only children but Mm. uh, extended family members Mm. um, that might also suddenly be feeling aggrieved um, and and want a slice of the pie Mm. and ultimately if it's if any party's successful in that regard all it does is diminish the asset pool so suddenly we're dealing with could be hundreds of thousands of dollars less than what the parties first thought they might have to divide because uh, someone is owed an income over what would be many, many years. Mm. Well, as, the, as the pie gets smaller, then it becomes a bigger issue, particularly for people who the farm may have been their primary source of income. How does the court look at that? It's a serious consideration that the court has to take into account. Um, obviously, what um, the court can't uh, or doesn't want to do is uh, do anything that can severely impact on that income and diminish it so that they can't survive. So, um, what we've always got to remember is in these types of matters, being able to potentially borrow to pay out a spouse is not necessarily as straightforward because your income is dependent upon your your livelihood, that is your livestock that might need to be sold. So it's, it's a very close consideration um, in making any sort of decisions and, and how the court comes to, a, uh, to an outcome. And sometimes it might be an out-of-the-box approach, so to speak, in terms of it's not just pay to you know the ex-spouse a sum of money within a period of time and, and the other party keeps the main asset. It may need to be a bit more creative uh, for example, payments as to when um, livestock or grain is sold. So that way, the other party who's keeping that particular um, business, if you like, and land can continue to derive that income and maintain it whilst ultimately satisfying the outcome or the settlement that is agreed or ultimately been adjudicated. The court has a very fine line that they need to walk along Mm. in these types of settlements because they, as Diana said, they're trying to protect the party whose primary source of income is the business, but at the same time perhaps recognising that the less active spouse perhaps um, in the business also derived some level of income from the business as well Mm. um, and also don't want to impede upon their legitimate legal rights for a settlement as well. And in these types of rights, it is unfortunately not uncommon where we often, where we may see, sorry, um, instances where one party has been more the, um, labour is probably not the right word, but the one that's outdoors that is actually doing the farming. And we often sometimes have a dispute whereby the other spouse has contributed in a matter, maybe to not to the extent of the, the, the person who's out there, but they might be doing fencing, for example, mm. and not actually receiving the payments, Book, even between spouses. Yeah, and bookkeeping. Um, spouses can have disputes about remuneration as well and often well, it's, suggesting it's, that there's no payment having no, been made. And, it, and it's that standard um, sort of divorce property settlement question of, well, while one party's out there working hands-on, the other, the other party is actually running the home. So. Correct. But in these, often in these matters, you actually see the party that is, so to speak, running the home, that is not just the inside. They, they are out there in the middle of the night, potentially um, watering and feeding and, you know, are out there when, like I said, the fencing goes down and you've got kilometres of fencing to repair. Um, and 
there sometimes is um, an unwillingness to want to acknowledge those types of um, duties and sort of contributions, as we lawyers call them, that have otherwise been made over the course of the years of a relationship. I'd imagine these type of matters you would see a lot of clients who might be asset rich but cash poor. Is that, that quite common? Very common indeed. Um, in many cases, um, for primary production, you need a huge parcel of land, for example, or a huge quantity of stock, um, or significant vineyard assets in order to maintain a level of income that you need to sustain your family. Um, but they're really, really running from season to season, or even sometimes day to day as well. And that's where um, Diana's point about creative property settlements is really important as well. Um, lending facilities are often quite different for business um, for businesses in comparison to refinancing the home to pay out someone as well so it really needs to have a, um, a creative team behind you to try and work out a way a way forward in those circumstances and often in these matters when we get to points of almost finalization we encourage our clients to have not only their their broker or their their bank manager or lender provide them with advice but also their financial planner because ultimately this is not just I'll pay a loan off in 30 years and here we go we're all done and dusted it's much much bigger picture than that and there is often a lot of intermingling of loan facilities and and structures before we can finalize those types of matters. It's part of determining how the assets are divided as well and seeking financial advice. It's really important to actually have a good understanding of the assets because simply because um, their former spouses have reached an agreement about how assets can be divided doesn't mean that they actually can divide them in um, the manner that they would like to. Fishing entitlements are a very good example of that um, and uh, the law is quite strict in South Australia um, and the party simply might not be able to divide assets as they would like to. Just for our listeners, that is uh, a storm outside our window, so apologies if if the audio is picking up that rain. So I guess to maybe wrap things up, um, we mentioned the importance of building a, a team. Can we maybe just quickly whip through who are the key members of that team and uh, maybe the importance of getting early advice and geez that rain is coming down (laughs) sorry if you can't hear us um look definitely seeking early advice is absolutely critical sometimes it may be more important to do so even prior to a separation or in the in the period that you feel like your relationship is coming to an end obviously having legal advisors is critical as well to assist in understanding your rights and entitlements um, the accountant, in these types of matters, often there's a, a long-standing accountant um, you might need to seek advice from. That can become a little bit difficult depending on um, sometimes where the relationship lies with the accountant, um, but it may be the case that you might need to seek some independent accounting advice. Um, and like I said before, also a financial planner or financial advisor for your future um, and looking at what you need to do to assist you, um, particularly um, if you're keeping sort of the land and the main asset, but also if we're dealing with, um, in some of these matters, um, parties that are closer to their age of retirement, we want to sort of look at what structures are going to be in place to ensure that we're not affecting um, or having any effect negative, that is, on, on their retirements. 
It's also important as well if we're advising the spouse who might be walking away from the primary industry business about their entitlements for, say, spousal maintenance at an early stage, um, particularly where their source of income was the farm as well and they don't have a job to go back to next week, mm. um, they might need some rather urgent advice about how to move forward. Well, thank you very much, Diana and Melanie, for your time and thank you for listening to Surviving Separation. You've been listening to Surviving Separation, a podcast brought to you by TGB Lawyers. Make sure you subscribe to the show and for the latest podcast updates and news, visit tgb.com.au forward slash podcasts. Tyndall Gask Bentley is one of Australia's largest and most respected family law firms. To arrange an appointment, contact the TGB team or read blogs and content, visit tgb.com.au. Please be aware that the discussions on this podcast are general in nature, true at the time of recording and should not be considered legal advice. If you are facing a legal issue, seek advice from a lawyer specific to your circumstances.